Praise God, you guys. So, hey, uh, we uh, are going through on Wednesday nights, our midweek study, we're going through 1 Timothy. And then, of course, on Sunday, we've been going through Revelation. And I try not to break away, but I've broken away a lot through COVID in those couple years at all kinds of topical things. So we kind of slowed down, did a lot of devotional and practical messages through that time. So we didn't stick, we stick, we weren't in Revelation most of the time during that time. So we've been back in it for a while now. And, uh, but, and a lot of people, I'm getting, getting responses because people are loving the messages. Different people are being impacted in different ways on heaven as we go through the new heaven and the new earth. And I'm excited about it and we keep doing it. But I wanted to bring one of my messages because I do this occasionally from Wednesday over to a Sunday. And since it was a part two of my Wednesday message, so those of you who are listening to the Wednesday messages and coming, praise God, we're having a good time digging into Timothy. Uh, the part two that you'd be expecting this Wednesday is actually today. So we'll go on and move on to chapter two, verse six from verse five. Because every once in a while I hit a verse, I think, you know, this verse is so important, you know, and, and on, on Timothy, it's kind of tough because every message I think is so important, everybody needs to hear it, you know, but 1 Timothy uh, 2, 5, which we're in, is, is so important because of what's going on in the church right now. Go, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, and this is part two, but this is going to have a different message for the Sunday message. It's just called, you know, uh, one way to heaven, question mark. Is there only one way to heaven? And there's one meeting between God and man is the name of the last Wednesday message. So it'll be called part two of that as well for, so people don't get confused. He said there's a part two. I don't see it. So there's a part two, but it's also a Sunday message. In 1 Timothy 2.5, we read, and it's critical that we understand this, that there's what? How many mediators does it say between God and man there? There's only one mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and what? One God and one mediator also between God and men. The man, why does he emphasize man there? It's kind of interesting. The man, Christ Jesus. You know, and as a young Christian, I would always like love the verses because I didn't know any Christians when I became a Christian. And the first people that came to my door were the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons. And I was having Bible studies with groups of them. My first they sold their souls presentation publicly was about before like 35 Jehovah Witnesses that I was invited to that were coming to my house trying to teach me to become a Jehovah Witness. There's a lot of parts of my testimony I don't always share, but that's one part of it. And Mormons were coming. I had, uh, I take that back. My first baby public one, I had like 10 Mormons over the house and I was doing it in my room for them because I was meeting with a couple of them and I was showing them what I was finding on, on music and Satanism and stuff. And the Mormons were like, wait, we have all this music at our Mormon dances at the stake. This is all satanic. I'm like, yeah, bring your guys over. They brought a bunch of guys over. Mormons, the JWs invited me. And I guess they invited me to talk to the people because I was, didn't, wasn't affiliated with the church yet because <laughs> they would never do it now. Uh, but I was sitting with them and both groups were denying that Jesus is God. For the Mormons, he's just, you know, one of many, many, many gods. One of many, many, many saviors and a progression of gods, right? And for the JWs, he's a created being. He's the Archangel Michael. And uh, Mormons, the spirit brother Lucifer, they believe that in the preexistence. And uh, JWs, he's just a created being and so forth. And I was coming across all these scriptures and I wasn't studying with Christians, but I was, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Hebrews chapter one, that's why some of the scriptures I use, people don't even use to refute. Uh, very few people use uh, Hebrews chapter one with Hebrews chapter three. 
Because I was finding stuff just digging in Scripture. It says he created everything, and, and apologists will use that, but they rarely will go from Hebrews chapter 1, and that where he makes everything, to Hebrews chapter 3, the first few verses. And we ought to use these verses where it says, the builder of the house is uh, worthy of more glory than the house itself. And he's saying, this is why Jesus deserves more glory than Moses, right? Because Jesus, it says, he is a builder of all things, you know? So powerful. But I couldn't get wrap my brain around why they were denying that Jesus is God. But keep in mind, I already came from a background where I realized that I had been deceived by the new age type of thinking, the occult type of worldview. And I realized that Satan was very real. And I began to see really quickly that these guys didn't have their historical footing in the early church, but they were both Johnny-come-lately cultic religions who claimed like Joseph Smith, you know, that, that uh, the angel Moroni appeared to him. I call him sometimes the angel Baloni, but I try not to do that anymore, you know, and that he came to and revealed, you know, uh, that, that, you know, that he was just basically reinstating the gospel that was lost. And I talked to these Mormons that were coming over and say, wait a minute, it says here, Jesus says, I'll build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How are you restoring a church that the gates of hell don't prevail against? You know, and it says here that the, God, the, the church will endure throughout all generations. They wouldn't go away in the, in the second century, need to be restarted 1,600 years after that by Joseph Smith. And I'd looked at scriptures that says he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the saints until they attained to the unity of the faith. Well, we haven't gotten there yet, right? That doesn't happen until Jesus comes. And to defend the faith, earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So it's, it's once for all delivered to the saints. And then I would lay, say, hey, you guys say you have the restored church. I was loving, but I was like tripping out because they were like, they saw me as like a, a prize disciple maybe because they saw I was really into the scripture and stuff. And it was really crazy because I said, if you restore a 57 Chevy, it's going to look like a 57 Chevy. But the Mormons have one head prophet. Did the early church have a head prophet? No. You know, they have elders who are kids that come to your door. It says elder so-and-so. They're 18, 19 years old, you know. And it just all these things just did not add up. And of course, Joseph Smith's false prophecies and, and Mormonism and stuff. And I started thinking, wow, these systems. But when I was a little kid, we went to the Catholic church when I was young. They, when I was hit a certain age, the parents stopped bringing us there, thankfully. But uh, when I first became a Christian, I remember my mom was like, and she meant so much well, well. She goes, well, you're just following the Bible and Christ. She goes, but what about, you know, why don't you at least try the Catholic church again that we used to go to and to make her happy, I went down there. I talked to a priest and realized he didn't believe the Bible. I was like, what in the world, you know? And I mean, that's a long story too. So I just kept pursuing Jesus. And I got on my knees and I wanted to know who, what, what was, you know, what's the true faith. And as I began to read the scriptures, I started to realize and come to an understanding, and my prayer got answered, that there are all kinds of true Christians all around the world that truly follow Jesus and love him and just follow the Lord according to his word, that believe that Jesus Christ is God, that salvation is by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves is the gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast, and trust the Bible as the word of God and, and preach the true gospel. And I realized when I was great, what tripped me out is when I was going through the book of Revelation, the seven churches there, I realized they had different sets of problems. And the church wasn't 100% unified, the seven churches. Five of them had real serious problems and need to repent. So I realized, wow, Christianity, even in the early century, first century, had diverse expressions. That didn't mean their errors that they were compiling were okay. It just showed me that you wouldn't be able, when you're walking into the, the true Christian churches, 
they're not all going to be exactly the same like the JWs or the Mormons. That there's going to be some diversity. And that diversity, wherever it's an error, will be corrected as we get closer to truth. But it certainly won't be a diversity that rejects that Jesus is God. Amen? Or that he's less than the uncreated creator of all things. Because the Bible says not only is the word, uh, is the word be, uh, became flesh, but it says the word is God and all things came to be by him. And nothing came into existence but by him. Jesus is God. So when we look at the one God and one mediator between God, I don't have time to get into, we got into the context with this because many scholars believe that he's not only coming against a, a, a kind of a, a, you know, a, a form of Judaism, but also perhaps Gnostic form of Judaism or Gnosticism. And that makes a lot of sense, you know, uh, because in verse one, he says to pray for everyone, Amen. The Gnostics didn't believe most people could be saved. In verse 4, he says, God wills that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of truth right before verse 5. The Gnostics, and out of time, I got deeper into it. So if you're like, man, I wish we would have spent more time on that, get the last message. I did on Wednesday. But the Gnostics, and I believe a lot of this is prophetic because in 1 Timothy 4, a few chapters later, Paul says that the Holy Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctors of demons, right? And it says they'll tell people not that they can't eat certain foods and they'll forbid marriage. And he says it's coming. And it came right after, not long after Paul wrote this. In the second and third century, a lot of the Gnostics taught you can't get married because Yahweh, the creator, is evil. And he's imprisoning people. So we don't want to procreate. And you don't want to eat meat because that's fleshly. You know, it's made by the, the, the you know, Yahweh and it's evil. And they're worshiping, many of them, the serpent because he set Eve free from Yahweh. It's Satanism is what Gnosticism was. But they had this very exclusive elitist form of salvation. And, uh, well, Paul says God wills that all be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. Not just a few, not just the elect, because the Gnostics had their special elect group. And then in verse 5, he says, there's only one God. The, media, the, the Gnostics believed in many gods. And there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The Gnostics believe there are all kinds of mediators, like Sophia, the Logos, and you know, the Valentinian Gnostics was most popular in the second century that Irenaeus had refuted. Uh, they had 32 eons that came off the ultimate depth, and they were different eons and messengers. But he says there's only one God. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But the Gnostics believe that salvation came through gnosis, knowledge. Hence, the very last two verses of 1 Timothy chapter 6, watch out for that which is falsely, Paul says, called gnosis. And there was already incipient Gnosticism going on in Paul's day. Early on, in the first century, we read Serenthus combated the apostle John according to Polycarp. And Irenaeus tells us about that because he sat under Polycarp and how Polycarp said that John was coming against a Gnostic named Serenthus who believed that Jesus was just a, a, a man and the Christ spirit rested upon him and departed when Christ went to the cross. So Jesus, it wasn't the Christ. And John says in 1 John, whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is what? He's Antichrist. And most scholars believe there was some form of incipient Gnosticism that John was going to write against in 1 John. So these are real problems. So salvation though we find is pray for everybody. God wills that all be saved, not just the elect, right? Verse 4. Verse 5, there's only one God. Verse 5, there's only one meteor, not many. And if salvation doesn't come through just knowledge, it comes through what? Verse 6. What's verse 6 say? Who gave himself as a what? Ransom for all. The testimony given at the proper time. And notice he gave himself a ransom for what? A few? Most? All. And that's the emphasis there. 
That's why we're supposed to pray for everybody. Well, wait a minute, man. You're talking about praying for Nero. He gave himself even for Nero. That's why Paul says pray for the leaders even. People they would think, no, they're not going to be saved. Wait a minute, Nero was such a wicked sinner. Ah, Paul covered that. Chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. It's a trustworthy saying, deserving full acceptance, if you read it there, that Christ came in the world to save sinners of which I am chief, or which I am foremost of all, or of which I am the worst. Aren't you glad that God saved the worst sinner in Paul? And Paul goes on to say, he saved me to let you guys know that whoever comes to him will be accepted. Amen? That's the importance of salvation. The salvation message is there's one God. There's one way. And I became, I became, I was a Christian. I was checking out what the cults were saying because I didn't know any Christians. And by the grace of God, he protected my heart. But he gave me a schooling because I got to learn how Satan works. And I found a Christian bookstore. I bought a sticker I had on my, 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 my uh, Jeep. I have a blue Jeep right now. Josiah talked me into getting a Jeep. I sold my tr- got rid of my truck because right now you can sell your used vehicles and that Jeep was really cheap because <laughs> they gave me a lot for my used vehicle even though it was about 10 years old. I was like, really? And I used to have a blue Jeep, a CJ5. Uh, and I used to have a sticker. It was blue and white and it said one way and had a cross in the middle with an ar- and pointed as an arrow up. That was my sticker. And I had one other sticker I got later. It was a red and bla- black and white, which 666, but a cross, you know, slash to it, no 666. Those were my stickers for a long time. When I was first seeing Lisa, I go, what, why, what made you interested in me? She goes, I love your stickers. I go, oh, that's cool. <laughs> that part's not true. Okay. Just thought of that. It's being silly. But uh, we need a little bit of levity, right? Heavy messages. Uh, so, but it's interesting. He's coming again. And by the way, by the way, uh, a diehard Gnostic for like nine, ten years with a guy by the name of Augustine who held many of the teachings I just mentioned, the false teachings. And that's the root of, he was the first, well, John Calvin said he got, his doctrine could be solidified or basically understood through Augustine. And that's how that got to the church, that there's only one way, and that, um, not that there's only one way, we believe there's only way, one way, but there's only, but Jesus only died for the elect, he only wants the elect to be saved truly, and so forth. And, but the difference is, you don't want to call our Calvinist brothers and sisters, and their brothers and sisters, a lot of them just love Jesus. It could be very good examples in many ways. So, but at the same time, you don't want to call them Gnostics because they believe that Jesus is the way, amen? They just believe he's the way for only a certain amount of people could actually come to him and will be brought to him by the Father. But it still has some inherent neo-Gnostic tendencies. So it's neo-Gnostic for sure in a certain way, but it's not full-blown Gnosticism. Now, it's interesting. Last time we were together, we were talking about Jesus being the one way when I was on Wednesday, and why. And I'll give you just a few of the highlights we hit, and then we're going to get into some of the newer stuff, which I've been doing already a bit. But uh, Jesus said, you must be what? Born again. It's not optional. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. John 3.3, John 3.5, John 3.7. So you must be born again because he's the only way. And he said in John 3.14, the son of man must be lifted up. Jesus had to die on the cross, amen? That's a must. If he didn't die on the cross, you could not be saved. If you're not born again through what he did on the cross, because Nicodemus wanted to know how a man could be born again. He goes, what, do we have to come out of our mother's womb all over again? He's being probably facetious. Jesus said, no. You must be born of water and spirit. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, remember they're all dying from snake bites? 
going toward the promised land, but they couldn't get to the promised land. They were doomed because of their sin, and they're getting bitten by snakes, and they're just dying and ebbing away. And God tells Moses to make a cross. Well, make, put, up a, put up a big stake and put a bronze serpent on it, which would be like a cross, and have them look to that cross. And they'd look, and he says, whoever looks will get healed. And they were healed. Whoever looked would be healed. Not through their works. Don't make them take two laps, you know, through the promise, or to the promised land and back, to the pro- or whatever. No. Look to the serpent on the pole. Because they were being bit by serpents. That's a picture of the wrath of God, amen? And God's wrath was going to fall. The only person missing on that pole right there was the Messiah. He hadn't come yet. But his wrath would fall on the one years later, 1,500 years later on the Messiah, on Jesus, Amen. He said, the son of man, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, so shall the son of man be lifted up. You're seeing the picture of the wrath and the holiness of God being lifted up here. Well, guess what? The holy one is to be lifted up, but he's also going to be lifted up as what? The lamb of God and accept the wrath that you deserve. So the son of man had to be lifted up. Jesus said, unless, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and abides alone, Right? It will not bear much fruit. So too, he said he had to go to the cross. Why? Because the Bible says that we are sinners and we are guilty and we deserve death. But because he loves you, man, because he doesn't want you to be lost and you're lost in your sins without Jesus. You're hopeless without Jesus. This should be the most exciting part of your week. Man, I get to talk about my Savior. You saved me from eternal hell. That, that blows away anything else you do all week is knowing Jesus, getting to know him better and loving the one you're spending eternity with. Amen. And so what happens is you come to realize, wow, the Bible says that the wage of sin is death. But it goes on to say, it says all of sin to come short of the glory of God. And the wage of sin is death. And there's none righteous, no, not one. Amen. But it goes on to say also in 623, that's 323 and 310. But in Romans 623, it says, the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. Amen. I love the emphasis, the, not just gift, the free gift of God. Well, isn't a gift free by nature? Yeah, but I like the way the Lord emphasizes it because we tend to sometimes forget. It's all by his grace that we're saved, amen? amen? Not of ourselves. God just calls us to put our trust in him and accept what he did for us. Through his death, yeah. Because guess what it says in Romans 9.22? It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's why Jesus had to die. That's why only Jesus could be the mediator. In fact, in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's only one God, right? There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Why do you think it emphasizes man there? Because I love the, the scripture that emphasizes the deity of Christ. We forget sometimes the emphasis on the humanity of Jesus. And by the way, Docetism was a heresy among the Gnostics, and they denied that God became a man in the person of Christ. Remember, they hated the flesh. They hated Yahweh, the creator. The physical world, the physical universe is evil because Yahweh made it. Therefore, they denied that God became flesh. Whoever denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is antichrist. That's why John says that, First John. So Paul emphasized, that's why I'm very, pretty much convinced he's also getting his Gnosticism in First Timothy because they denied the Gnostics that Christ became flesh. Even Serenthus in the first century, a contemporary of the Apostle John's, remember he said this Christ's spirit just rested on Jesus, right? 
but Jesus Christ wasn't a person. But the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He's already the Christ, amen? He wasn't some ordinary man. that Christ's spirit just kind of, some kind of Gnostic entity gave him wisdom and then left. Do you understand? But it's also emphasizing him being man because he's one mediator between God and man, amen? If you guys were there, those of there that were there Wednesday, you remember that in Job uh, chapter nine, we talked about uh, Job basically crying out to God. Uh, and I read from the NIV here. Because he's like, he's doomed. He's like, I, he said, if I had a thousand arguments against God and I went into a courtroom with him, I'd lose every one of them, he said. And then he says at the end of chapter, that's the beginning of chapter nine, then he says, the end of chapter nine, near the end, if only there was someone to mediate, if only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, that was his heart's cry for a mediator to come forth. A couple thousand years or more before Christ came, but he gets these glimpses of light. Remember, in the midst of his trial, he struggles. But he says, my Redeemer lives. Amen. And I know that when I die, I'll see him with my own eyes in the flesh. Amen. There's resurrection, right? He knows there's going to be a mediator that steps in somehow, some way. Didn't understand it fully. But he came in the person of Jesus Christ. So the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, if there was a law that God could have given that would have imparted life, he wouldn't have sent his son. See, and God gives us his holy law. It doesn't save us. It shows us that we're rotten, filthy sinners. And the more we look at his law, the more we're exposed. In fact, in Romans chapter 7, it even indicates that the more you look at God's holy law, it actually breeds rebellion in you. Not because it's holy or unholy, but because it's so holy, that's how our sinful nature reacts to his law. It intensifies and shows how wicked you not only are as a mirror, but it shows, guess what? There's a wicked nature that you need to be redeemed from. And guess what, man? The law couldn't save us. There's no eightfold path. There's no endless, you know, reincarnations. All these systems of men where you can work your way to heaven. I quoted uh, Roby Duke. Some remember Roby Duke? He has some really beautiful songs. He's on our album, uh, Lead Me to the Rock. He has a song, you know, I quote there where he says, it's not a stairway to heaven. There's no stairway to heaven. It's a bridge divine, amen. But he's the man Christ Jesus, but he's also God. So the only way we can be redeemed is if God did it. But the only way we can be redeemed is if God became a man. In fact, listen to what it says in Psalm 49, verses 7 through 9. No man, that's none of us, can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly and he should cease trying forever that he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay. If you're putting your hope in man, you're betting on that old naggy horse who's now ready to die and saying, I'm putting my money on that horse. You're doomed, man. It's, the soul's too costly. Because we're not talking about even one soul. We're talking about millions and millions of souls, amen? amen. And even if you lived a perfect life, which you can't, it's none righteous, no, not one. But let's say you lived a perfect life and you wanted to give your heart, your, your life. Well, you could give your life, perhaps, for one person. Not that God would accept that because none of us are sinless. But God became a man because the soul is costly. But because he is God, he's of infinite value, amen? So when he dies on the cross, he pays an infinite price because his suffering is infinite, has infinite value. 
but he also has to become a man. Because the first Adam, in Adam, what happens? Death spread throughout the world, amen? amen? And he represented the human race. You guys, we're in big trouble, man. Because of Adam's rebellion against God. Well, well, that means I'm doomed because of what Adam did. No, that just means you are, he represented humanity. His name means man. But as soon as you sin, we have a sinful nature, then you're accountable before God and everyone sinned. Well, what if I chose not to sin? You don't have a sinful nature. You didn't choose not to sin. You're a sinner just like me. But Jesus, God, the Bible says that Jesus is the last Adam. He's the second Adam. That's why God became a man. And Jesus as the last Adam, now he represents us to the Father. God doesn't look at Adam and say, oh, look at the problems you guys are in now. He looks to his son and says, through Adam, I'll die. But it says through his son, right? All are made alive. And just as that non-believing kid, as a little kid, hits the age of accountability and he dies because of his own choice, but he's also got that, that sin nature from Adam, now he's, he's chosen to be a sinner. Jesus died for all of us, so if we put our faith in Christ, we're made alive in Christ, amen? Because Romans 8, or Romans eleven thirty two, God's concluded that all are condemned, all are under sin, that he might show mercy to all. He wants us all to come to him and be saved. So we have this awesome Savior, and that's why God had to become a man. And if there was another way, <laughs> when Jesus was praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, where it says in Hebrews chapter 5 that while he was praying, there was heavy crying. I mean, if you walk by the garden, you'd be like, whoa, somebody is going through some intense pain because he was going to bear the sins of the world. And no wonder he says to his disciples, couldn't you pray one hour with me? They were just bragging about how they're ready to go to prison and death with him. Peter said that, but they all said the same thing it says. And they're sleeping, snoring. And Jesus, and we know, I was going through, remember we talked about this before, hematrodosis, blood's coming out of his pores. And that's a scientific reality that's just been discovered with just over 100 people on earth through forensic studies. So he's got, that's how intense it is. And he's saying, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Let it pass. Thank God he ended that prayer with, but not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, Father, your will be done. And his prayer was basically, if there's another way, any possible way that humans be saved without me being the one mediator, pull it off, Father, because I don't want to bear your wrath and go through that and be, suffer your wrath because we have no idea how intense it was, guys. He suffered thirst. That's a picture of hell. I thirst. He suffered darkness. It became dark. That's a picture of hell, outer darkness. Amen. He suffered a sense of separation. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Hell will be ultimate separation. Although he still remained God and wasn't separated in, in his deity, for sure. But in, in his humanity, in some mysterious way, because he's taken, not that mysterious, I guess, because he's partaking of the wrath of God, that would feel like some kind of separation, right? Because you became the object of God's wrath. Heavy. He went through all that. But if, if God could have saved us some other way, it would have been through. God would have said, okay, Jesus. Because Jesus said, right after that, to Pilate, that God is able to send 12 legions of angels to save me. Yeah. He could have. Then he would have put some conditional clauses in the prophecies, right? In the Old Testament. Uh, he would have, uh, and then we'd all be damned, amen? We'd have to partake of our own wrath. But the Father knew that Jesus would come through 
Jesus, I believe, knew that he would come through. Wait a minute. How come he's struggling with this? Well, he's struggling with a real trial. It's like, wait a minute. Did he know everything? Yeah. Yes and no. What do you mean yes and no? Before he became a man, he knew everything. As God and man, I still believe he could know everything. But I believe it's like this. Because how come he said of the, of, of the second coming, no one knows the day and the hour except who? The Father. What did he say about his own knowledge of the second coming? Not even who? The Son or the angels know. Well, how did he not know? But at the same time, I can show you scriptures in John and elsewhere where he knew the hearts of all men. He knows everything. Well, what's going on? What gives here? Because I believe when he became a man, it's, it's heretical to say he ceased to be God. He's still God. He's the God-man. He says to the Jews who were going to kill him before Abraham was, I am. He's still God. When they come to arrest him, are you the one? I am. They all fall down. He's still God, amen? But, but he was relinquishing, using all of his attributes at a whim because he came to suffer as a man. So there's things that you know. Can you remember your fifth grade teacher? What do you remember was the moment that you remember most about your fifth or sixth grade teacher? I'll give you some latitude for you guys if you get older. Or your college teacher if you're getting really older, like me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, guess what? There's all kinds of memories at your disposal that you aren't relying on and you haven't thought about ever since they happened. Someone could say, do you remember when we had Mrs. Cavitz or whoever? Yeah. Do you remember this? Vaguely. Oh, now I remember that. Oh, I forgot all about that. That you haven't remembered since it happened. There's all kinds of, everything is stored in your memory. Did you know that? But I believe Jesus, because he's God, had all that, but he simply didn't say, I'm going to rely on that. See, he didn't go into his memory bank. Are you with me? Now that's theoretical, I admit. It's interesting though, because it shows how you can have those abilities, but not tap into them all the time. And he became a man. Now it's interesting the Bible says, and Jesus is the only way, by the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but who? Through me. Why? Because he alone died for our sins. Acts 4.12, there's only one name, not two, three, ten, twenty. There's only one name under heaven given among men by where we must be saved, the name of Jesus. Amen? Since salvation, no other, it says. I am the door, John chapter 10. And when he goes another way, is a thief and a robber. 10, 9, and 10, I believe. Hebrews 2, 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's the only way that we can be saved. And I just saw from a little while back a Pew report, uh, Pew Forum, and guess what? Most people believe there's many ways. You can have just about any faith and you'll be, go to heaven. It's a lie. But that same report showed that those who claim to be evangelical Christians, claim to be born again, 49 of them say that Jesus is the only way and you can't be saved through these other religions. 47% of those who claim to be born again evangelical Christians claim that there's other ways to other faiths to be saved. I remember George Bush Jr., remember him? He's being interviewed, I think it was by Larry King or someone. Do you believe Jesus is the only way? He goes, well, I believe that Muslims get saved through Muhammad, you know. That's not Christianity, guys. That's not biblical Christianity. Now, we have to understand that the scriptures are very clear that Jesus is the only way. Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism's 
doesn't believe that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. Okay, it's very important that we understand that Muslims, in fact, Muslims, they believe Allah, or Allah is the one God and Muhammad is his greatest prophet. In fact, it's interesting because uh, in Muhammadism or Islamism, uh, the Muslim profession of faith, which is all over the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Golden Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount, it states that there is no God, it's called the Shahada, uh, there is no God but God and Muhammad is his prophet. And Jesus was just a prophet. Oh, he's a great prophet, but not the son of God. And Muhammad is the greatest of the prophets, and he's the last of the prophets. It's kind of interesting because it came six, seven years later. They claim that Jesus was one of theirs, but the, the Bible warns about a different gospel and those who would deny that Jesus is the son of God, which is what Islam does. And an angel brings another gospel to you than that which he, we preach you, let him be accursed. And that's what Muhammad said, an angel Gabriel came to me. But the angel Gabriel, when you go to Luke chapter one and two, when you go to Daniel chapter uh, 10, you see that the angel Gabriel said that there is uh, there is a coming redeemer, amen? And he'd be cut off. He'd be cut off. He'd be killed for his people. And he told Mary that he'd be called the son of the most high God, totally contradicting the Gabriel that came later, which was not Gabriel. And Islam has a totally different Jesus, okay? And by the way, Jesus is the last word to us, amen? Read Hebrews chapter, chapter one, first three verses, amen? He's the final word, not... not, not uh, Muhammad, okay? So it's important that we get this and that we understand, you know, uh, Muhammadism or Islam teaches that you'll be put on scales, all your good works and your bad works, and whichever way out the way the other, you'll get into heaven. Well, guess what? That's the case we're all doomed, amen? In fact, Muhammad was concerned about whether he was even going to be saved or not. So it's a false teaching. Uh, Roman Catholicism, I mentioned, but let me say some things about it. You know what the titles of Mary are in the Roman Catholic Church? Now, Roman Catholicism, what they did, they added all kinds of false teachings on. What if you came to Blessed Hope and then you hadn't come back for some time and you found out that, you know, uh, a really neat sister we liked died in the church and we all pray to that sister now. And we ask her when we pray to her to pray for us. And we call that sister the Queen of Heaven. You know, and, and then there's a little booth back there and you come back there and then you confess your sins to me. Okay, and that's the only way you can, you got to find forgiveness, you know. And when we started doing all these things and talk about how you got to pay this kind of money and you're going to go to a special place and suffer for a while, you know, but we can pray to get you out sooner, that weird place. And you'd be, what happened? Well, guess what? That's just a little bit of what they started adding on to Catholicism in time. And it's been around so long, so people don't think of it as being a cult. And really, typically, it's really a world religion, but with a bunch of false teachings uh, in fact, here's some of the titles of Mary. She's called Mother of God, uh, Ever Virgin, which is not biblical. It says after she had her children or after Jesus was born that then she knew or had sexual relations with Joseph and he had several brothers and sisters. It mentions some of them, by, the brothers by name. Uh, she's called the Queen of Heaven. That's the title for Mary in the Catholic Church. By the way, that's a queen of a false, that's the name of a false god in the book of Jeremiah. She's called Co-Redemptrix, okay, with Jesus, co-redemptrix. She's called Mediatrix. She's a co-mediator. She's called the Advocate. Wow. She's called Mediator of Graces. Like she mediates grace to us. These are all titles used in the Roman Catholic Church. But there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one advocate. Jesus, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, I write these things that you don't sin. Don't sin, guys. 
But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Not you have two advocates with the Father, Jesus, and Mother Mary, the Queen of Heaven. The co-redemptrix, co-meditrix. doesn't say that. But it's interesting. Vatican II, which became church dogma, church doctrine, in their dogmatic constitution of the church, says, quote, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the church under the titles of advocate, helper, benefactress, and mediatrix. Mediatrix is a female way of saying mediator. So she's one of the mediators in Roman Catholicism. And the idea there is that, well, some Catholics will use this illustration. You know when you get upset, you know, your, 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 your dad's upset with you because you've blown it at home? Who do you go to to ease things out? You go to mom. And mom, she's got that soft side. And then she goes to dad and petitions on your behalf. And, and then dad kind of mellows out and things kind of can get smoothed out. And that isn't, that's why we go to Mary. We pray to her because we ask her to pray for us. And then she goes and talks to dad and dad mellows out, you know. And hey, you know, I knew a ton of Catholics. And when I was a little kid, I was a Catholic. And you could just sin like hell throughout the year. And then you just go to confession, right? That's how we all believe. That's what many Catholics think. And you just go to confessions and say so many rosaries or, or say so many prayers on the rosary. And by the way, there's our fathers there. Oh, they actually have the our father on there. Yeah, but they also, but they have more. Guess what? They have more Hail Marys. So you'd be saying all these Hail Marys. Now, when I was a Catholic and I go to confession, I like getting more Hail Marys than our fathers because they're a lot shorter prayers. Our father's not very long, but it's like half, Hail Mary seemed half, it's probably about the same length, actually, when I look at the words. But Hail Mary, full of grace. You're praying to Mary. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of your, thy womb. Jesus, holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Wow. You're talking to a dead person. The Bible warns against talking to dead people. It's called necromancy. It's occultism. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, it says, it says should you, cons- you should be seeking your God, it says. You should be consulting your God. Should you be seeking the dead among the living? No. It says the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. I mean, God's word says don't talk to dead people. For, don't go to dead people for help. Go to your God. Amen? Amen. And Isaiah 18, 9 through 12, it gives all these occultic practices like sacrificing your children in the fire, uh, you know, seeking wizards and mediums and divination, omens, all these different things are totally condemned in Scripture. Do not get in the occult. But one of the things it mentions is necromancy, talking to dead people. Don't do it. Amen? Now, it's interesting because St. Bernardine of Siena, okay, uh, writes, okay, and these are, these are books that Catholics follow. Every grace granted to man has three degrees in order. For by God, it is communicated to Christ. From Christ, it passes to the virgin, and from the virgin, it descends to us. Now, they pray to Mary, at, and the cate- this is a catechism. This is the catechism of the Catholic Church, CCC, okay? Catechism of the Catholic Church. It says, the church the churches developed their prayer to the Holy Mother of God. It's interesting. They developed. Yeah, they were never told by God to do this. They developed their churches a prayer to, 
So, oh, we don't, we don't pray to Mary. We just ask her to pray for us. Oh, the catechism says otherwise. It says the churches develop their prayer to the Holy Mother of God, centering it on the person of Christ manifested in the mysteries. A little further, it says the supplications and praises of the children of God to the mother of Jesus because she now knows the humanity. So she can identify with us. And keep in mind, they teach that Mary was sinless. That wasn't even taught in the Catholic Church at first. But they kept exalting her to the queen of heaven. She's sinless. The Bible says that she called, in the, I think it's Luke chapter 1, she calls God her savior. Her and Joseph sacrificed animals before Christ came to die, right? She needed a savior. She wasn't sinless. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But they're elevating her to be like who? Jesus. On the same level of Jesus as she becomes sinless. And then she doesn't even die. She ascends to heaven. That didn't become part of Catholic doctrine and dogma until the 1800s, the ascension of Mary. In fact, it was, the idea was condemned by earlier Catholic popes. But in the 1800s, it became a doctrine. They bow down to statues of Mary. You know, you go to a Catholic wedding, a lot of, well, over and over again, the couple that's getting married, they'll go and bow down before a statue of Mary. And they'll offer, give an offering, often flowers or whatever, to Mary. All these things are condemned in Scripture. So it's interesting you say, well, they're not saying she's God by bowing down and praying to her. Well, guess what? Do you know the pagans that worshiped all kinds of different gods that they bowed down, all different idols? Usually the idols they were bowing down to, or oftentimes the idols they were bowing down, were just in a pantheon of gods. They were just lesser beings and lesser deities, go-betweens and so forth. It was still idolatry according to the scripture. Now, the mediatrix of all grace, that just breaks you know, breaks my heart. So it's interesting because, listen to this. This is going to blow your mind. This is the Roman Catholic book of meditations on the mystery of the rosary, okay, by, Joe, by John Ferraro. Now, this got the official seal of doctrine, which means, quote, it's free of doctrinal or moral error from the Roman Catholic Church. The imprimatur. It got the imprimatur. It's like, this is free of error in the Roman Catholic Church. What does it teach? This book of meditations on the mystery of the rosary. She, meaning Mary, is co-redemptrix of the human race. Co-redeemer of Jesus. That's blasphemy, you guys. Well, if you said, man, I love my wife, and I do. And she's such a dear person, and she is. And guys, we need to recognize how beautiful my wife is. She's co-mediatrix with Jesus. She's co-redeemer. You can talk to her. Don't go confess your sins to me anymore, which you shouldn't, you know. But go confess to her. I hope this would be your last Sunday here. Okay, and if you're in Roman Catholicism, same deal. Yeah, but Mary actually bore Jesus. Yeah, praise God. That's awesome. Can't wait to meet her in heaven. It's be awesome. But she's not a queen of heaven. She's not a goddess. Well, she's not a goddess. But wait a minute. How many Catholics do you think are praying to Mary right now? Millions. There's over a billion people that claim to be Catholic. Okay, we'll say at least hundreds of thousands. I got a great wife. She can hear one, two, sometimes three grandkids at once. But rarely can she hear three without getting frustrated. <laughs> Mary's hearing millions of prayers at once. Can a human being do that, yes or no? no? No, they make her beyond human. They go beyond the scripture. Paul says, do not go beyond what is written. Amen? Don't go beyond what is written. Uh, this book, it's considered doctrinally correct and touted around among 
Roman Catholics, the church and the saints greet her thus. You, O Mary, together with Jesus Christ, redeemed us. Heresy, blasphemy. They state, the book states, quote, God has ordained that no grace will be granted to us except through Mary. It is a doctrine preached by all the saints that no grace will come to us from heaven without passing through Mary's hands. No one will be saved nor obtain mercy except through you, O heavenly lady. Remember this well. No one will enter heaven without passing through Mary as one would pass through a door. O Mary, our salvation is in your hands. John 10, Jesus says, I am the door. If you go some other way, you're a robber and a thief. Amen? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is rank heresy. And this is why we don't consider Roman Catholicism a true expression of Christianity. I could look at my Baptist brethren. I could look at my Pentecostal brethren. You know, I could look at my Calvinistic and Reformed brethren. I could look at all these groups and say, we'll agree to disagree in areas and we'll debate them and we'll, we'll state our positions and so forth because we believe doctrine is important. But I call them brethren. Well, not every one of those groups. There's, not, there's some people that are not brethren, yeah. And there's some people in this church that aren't brothers and sisters maybe that don't know Jesus yet. They're just coming along, okay? But there's true believers in, in the ch churches, amen? But Roman Catholicism teaches a lot of different heresies. This is just one. During his passion, this book states, during his passion, Mary suffered in her heart all the pains that Jesus suffered in his body. For this reason, God exalted her so greatly. Wow. The book states, Mary is our co-redemptrix because she gave us Jesus' pledge of our salvation. Furthermore, she is our co-redemptrix of the human race because with Christ she ransomed mankind from the power of Satan. Wow. This book states, Jesus redeemed us with the blood of his body, Mary, with the agonies of her heart. Goes on to state, we were condemned through the fault of one woman. We are saved through the merits of another woman. Just as Eve was the root of death for everyone, so Mary was the source of life for everyone. But the Bible doesn't teach that she was the root of death for everyone. It says Adam was, right? And that's why Jesus became the second Adam. The book states Mary is our co-redemptrix because she suffered in her heart whatever was lacking in the passion of Christ. Really? Are we obligated to Jesus for his passion? So we are indebted to Mary for her participation in his passions. A couple more. Mary, queen of the apostles. She's queen of apostles because she formed them and directed them in their preaching. Really? Mary is queen of apostles because she is mother of grace and channel of mercy. She is queen of apostles because in her every hope is life and virtue. She is queen of apostles because she is the, a conqueror, or she is conqueror. Not a conqueror. She is conqueror of the infernal dragon. Really? My Bible says that was Jesus. Revelation 12, 11, They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. They overcame him. That is Satan, the dragon, which it may cause the dragon. That was patent right in the verses, two verses before that. Verse 9, verse 11. And he, Jesus, overcame, and we overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb. That's our victory. That's the ground of victory, Jesus Christ. And the word of our testimony, our testimony that Jesus is Lord, amen? And we love not our lives unto death, meaning we continue to put our faith in Jesus because it's his blood that conquers Satan in his resurrection, amen? Jesus is the one that says, Jesus says, come unto my mom. He says, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavily burdened, amen? You know? So, and there's these, all these apparitions of Mary. Well, what about all these, these Catholics that see Mary appear in, the, in this or that or the other? Yeah, the Bible talks about how Satan comes as an angel of enlightenment. 
That's how, that was part of the deception, guys. Because Satan wants to take your attention off of Jesus. He wants to take your attention to the one who is the way and get you on that broad path that leads to destruction. That's what false religion is all about. In fact, it's interesting. Jesus saw this coming. Jesus, blessed is the womb who bore you. He's like, yeah, wow. She's a co-redemptrix. I'm glad you're getting it. No, he didn't say that. He said, rather, blessed is those who hear the word of God and keep it. Amen? Jesus, your mother, your brothers and sisters are out there. You know? Who is my mother and my brothers and my sisters? Those who hear the word of God and keep it. Woo! I love Jesus. Isn't he awesome? He's already steering us away from deifying her because people are already starting to do it. Because we have, we're born to worship. And Satan knows that. So dangle all kinds of things to get your eyes away from Jesus. You need to keep bringing your focus back to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've seen me, Jesus said you've seen the Father. The Bible says the exact representation of the Father's person. God became flesh to reveal the Father to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you with me? All these weird teachings are blasphemous. Now, when I was studying with the Mormons as an early Christian, and I, there was just, it's, I, wow, they sure talked about Joseph Smith a lot. A lot. And I, Joseph Smith talked about Joseph Smith a lot. You notice, I, don't, I try not to talk a lot about me during messages. I'll give an anecdotal thing here and there as illustration, you know, but I talk so much about Jesus because that's who it's about, Amen. And if I bring up me, I'm bringing glory to him. Or my family, or you, or my family, church family, or people. I want to bring attention to Jesus. Joseph Smith said, the prophet of Mormonism, who in 1830 supposedly, you know, started receiving these visions of these angels, and basically were denials of Christ. That's why it's kind of interesting. You go through the introduction of the Book of Mormon. No, this I'm using as a prop. This is the Bible. I'm going to use that as the Book of Mormon. But you open the Book of Mormon, you go to the introduction, you see his different times that, that he's, his testimony of different times God, angels appeared to him. After the third one, which is the third denial, really, because they say don't join, Joseph Smith says don't join the churches, they're all corrupt, and all their creeds are an abomination. You know, all their ministers are corrupt, and all their creeds are an abomination. Don't join any church. I'm going to show you, we're going to start the true church again. After his third vision, which is really a third denial of the true Christ, it says, in the introduction, read it in the Book of Mormon. You'll see. Not this book, the Book of Mormon. All right. You'll see. And the cock crowed. That is really, really interesting. It's like Satan's little footprint. Here I am. Three, deni- three, three visions of what claimed to be truth, which are really three denials, and the cock crowed. After Peter denied the Lord three times, what happened? The cock crowed. It just throws it out there. And the cock crowed. It's like, what? <laughs> just so crazy. You know, but Joseph Smith said, I boast that I was the only one that was able to hold the church together. No one else could ever do it. You know, Jesus couldn't hold the church together. He says, his disciples all ran ran away from him. I held it together. Does that sound like a true, he's exalting himself above Jesus. In fact, I have journalist discourses at my house, 26 volumes long. I've had people, I've got a phone call. Will you sell that to me? Because nobody could get it for a long time. And I bought it at the Mormon bookstore in the Valley when I was a young Christian. Probably bought it when, I don't know, 20 years old or something. I don't know what all there was. And I was, and man, I couldn't believe what I read. And when you die, Dr. Brigham Young says, you'll go through this portal and this person. And then he goes, then you'll come to this white lock man. And you have to go through him to get to the father. And his name is Joseph Smith. 
blasphemy. In fact, Brigham Young, in the Journal of Discourses, which I have, all 26 volumes, uh, Journal of Discourses, volume seven, page 289, Brigham Young, who is the second prophet after Joseph Smith died, he became prophet. Brigham Young University, right? He says, Joseph Smith holds the keys to this last dispensation. Really? No man or woman is in this dispensation will ever enter into the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of Joseph Smith. Wait a minute, I thought there was only one mediator, and I thought Jesus was the way. He says, every man and woman must have the certificate of Joseph Smith Jr. as a passport to their entrance into the mansion where God and Christ are. He writes in volume 9, page, or he states in volume 9, page 312 of the Journal of Discourses, God's word says in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And this is another this is another teacher in the journalist courses. And he goes on to say, but Brigham Young says that he who confesses not that Jesus has come in the flesh and sent Joseph Smith with the fullness of the gospel to this generation is not of God, but is Antichrist. <laughs> so you have to confess Jesus and Joseph Smith. Journal of Discourses, chap, uh, volume six, page 229. Now, brethren, this is a consolation to us all. Believe in God, believe in Jesus, and believe in Joseph, his prophet. That's like believe in Muhammad, you know? It's very similar, by the way. An angel comes to Muhammad, an angel comes to Joseph Smith. They both deny the true gospel. They both claim to be bringing forth the truth again, and they both have a problem of being demonized, okay? And Brigham Young said, I couldn't preach the gospel. I couldn't preach to you guys unless these demon spirits were here helping me. I got all kinds of quotes like that. I sat down with a gal that was getting involved in Mormonism, and I went through quote after quote where Brigham Young and others say they need the help of demons when they share yeah, well, it's fallen angels is what it is because it's a false gospel. And, well, listen to this. You have to believe in God, believe in Jesus, and believe in Joseph, his prophet, and in Brigham, his successor. And I add, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is a Christ, and Joseph was a prophet, and that Brigham was his successor, you shall be saved in the kingdom of God, which I pray in the name of Jesus may be the case. Amen. That was 1857. By the way, guys, Mormons are in trouble here because you have to deny one or two things. You have to deny that Joseph, you need Joseph Smith and Brigham's consent, which a lot of Mormons will say, oh, well, we don't believe that now. Okay, then you have to believe because this is a prophecy. These are prophecies that Brigham Young was a false prophet. And the church is built on Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. Checkmate. You either believe in a very serious false doctrine that Jesus wasn't the only mediator and you also need Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. Oh, I don't believe that. Okay, then you believe that Brigham Young was a false prophet. And by the way, Joseph Smith, he said Christ would come in like 69 years. He was still alive. He died a little bit later after that. And 69 years later, that, the time came and went. Long time ago, over 100 years ago. He's a false prophet. He made other false prophecies too. How about the watchtower? Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door. And Jesus is enough. You also need their church, their watchtowers, their awake magazines. In the watchtower uh, magazine, it says the Bible cannot be properly understood without Jehovah's visible organization in mind. And the watchtower says that angels mediate knowledge to them. The watchtower states, quote, watchtower magazine. Furthermore, not only do we find that people cannot see, listen to this, very interesting. People cannot see the divine plan in, study, in studying the Bible itself. 
You can't just study the Bible by itself. But we see also that if anyone lays aside the scripture studies, meaning their particular Watchtower magazines, after he has read them for 10 years, if he then lays them aside, the Watchtower magazines, and ignores them and goes to the Bible alone, out of experience, our shows us that within two years, he goes into darkness. So if, you, if, you're, if you're studying the Watchtower magazines and so forth, and if you just reject them, after 10 years, if you're just using the Bible, you're in darkness. Well, you're in darkness according to them because you're not following their false teachings because you're not reading them anymore. That's where the darkness is. Our experience shows us that within two years, he goes into darkness. On the other hand, if he has merely read the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, scripture studies with their references and had no, not read a page of the Bible as such, he would be in the light at the end of the two years. So if you get rid of your Bible, you just read their studies, you'll have the light. See the Watchtower magazines, man. This is demonic. It's saying that you need the JW organization to be right with God. The Bible says there's only one medium between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, amen. And Jesus, the word made flesh, and, his, and the Bible is his living word, breathed by him, amen. We need the one true intercessor, the one true redeemer, the one and only mediator, Jesus, because he alone is God in the flesh. He alone lived a perfect life. He alone fulfilled the prophecies. He alone paid for your sins. He alone rose from the dead. He alone conquered Satan and sin and death and hell, amen. You and I, we all need Jesus. Man, Moses is an amazing man. He prayed, he interceded, he's a type, he's a picture of Jesus. But guess what? When he comes down from the holy mountain, Mount Sinai, and Aaron's down there while he's up there ripping up golden calves, and he comes down, and they're worshiping the golden calves, he throws down the law, <laughs> breaks. Picture of God's law, man. He broke God's law, and Moses, or Moses is really ticked off. God's gonna wipe a bunch of them out. What does Moses say? Don't blot them out of the book. Blot me out of the book. What a great heart, amen? It's heart we should have. Does God say, okay, Moses? No, can't do it. You're not the one meteor, Moses. He that sinned, him out of, sinned against me, I'll blot out of my book, God says. David's son, Absalom, another rebel, man. He wants David's kingdom. He starts saying bad things about David to exalt himself, kissing the little babies, playing politics, and tries, conducts an insurgency, and David's on the run. His kingdom comes against him, you know, and guess what? Man, oh man. David's like, and guess what? Absalom's got super long hair. He probably hair like they had in the 80s, right? Heavy metal hair. He gets caught up in a tree. He's suspended in a tree. And he's killed. And David's weeping. Oh, that it was me, my son, my son, that it was me instead of him. If I was cursing the tree instead of him. If I could have given myself even for my rebellious son. But he couldn't. But the Bible says, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. In that same chapter that quotes the Old Testament in Galatians chapter 3 that says, curse everyone who hangs on a tree and curse everyone who does not continue in all things in the law. No one does. No one's perfect. That same Bible chapter says that Christ became a curse for us, amen. Jesus did die on a tree and accepted our curse. Remember Paul in Romans chapter nine, the first few verses, you know, if I could be cursed so all Israel would be saved, I would do it. Paul, you couldn't do it because you're not the one redeemer, but that's who was cursed. Jesus bore our curse, amen. Go to John three sixteen. John 3.16, and I know it's such an easy, you guys, most of you haven't memorized, I'm sure, or many of you, 
But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love this, man. And I love this verse. This uh, A.T. Robertson, perhaps the foremost best Greek scholar, uh, American Greek scholar ever, he called it the mini gospel, the little gospel he called it. And I love John 3.16. It shows just this one verse says more than any one verse in the Bible, I think. Amen? It shows his heart. God so what? Loved. It shows his plan. He gave his only begotten son, right? Shows his will that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This verse refutes so many false doctrines. It refutes so many of the isms in the world showing that Jesus is the one mediator. I mean, think of it. Just look at it very closely, slowly, for God. For God, it refutes atheism because this is coming from Jesus. The one who not only fulfilled all these prophecies proving there's a God and God says he proves he's one true God by bringing things to pass that he said would come to pass and he prophesied that his son would be born in Bethlehem. Amen. That he'd give his life for the world and all kinds of other things. And Jesus rose to the dead with eyewitnesses. That's, hands down, he wins, he wins a court case, man. Those apostles say, and they're dying for it and bleeding to death and he's risen for God. That refutes atheism, amen? We have hope. There's a creator God, amen? For God so loved so loved, that refutes what? Fatalism. That refutes the idea uh, that God's some kind of impersonal force. He doesn't really care about us. For God is so loved, we have a personal God that cares about us. He refutes fatalism. For God, God so loved who? The next word's the world. That refutes nationalism, where people think, well, God just is for our country. We're the best, and, or God just died for the Jews, or, or God just came for the Jews, or came from one particular country or group of people, or one kind of race that's ridiculous. Jesus tasted death for everyone, amen? For God so loved the world. So we see refutation of atheism, fatalism, and nationalism. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. That refutes materialism. Where the idea that it's better to get, get the gusto now, man. Live for yourself. Narcissism. It's all about me. That refutes materialism. He gave. He gave. Next phrase, his only what? His only begotten son. That refutes the second biggest religion on the planet, Mohammedism, which denies that God even has a son. Amen? He gave his only begotten son. And by the way, well, that's why there's one mediator. Amen? That whoever, that whoever, whoever, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, that refutes Calvinism. The idea that, you know, God only wants a small group of people to be saved that are special elect that and he created most of the people because he wants to see them burn forever for his glory so people can see how powerful he is. That refutes Calvinism. That whoever believes, that refutes universalism. The idea, oh, everybody's going to be saved in the end. Ah, oh, don't worry, you know. Rob Bell, right? Rob Bell, uh, the Shack book, you know, universalism. You know, you have to believe salvation is conditional. Salvation is by grace through faith, not of ourselves, gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast. Amen. You have to put your trust in Jesus. Whoever believes in him, in him refutes pluralism, which is so popular in the New Age movement today that there's many ways to be saved. Jesus is just one way of many to go to heaven. Nope, you're only saved through him. Amen. And what he did on the cross for your sins. Amen. That none would, he's not one that, I'm sorry, God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in shall not what? Perish. That refutes, uh, that refutes annihilationism. 
because we study throughout the scripture what it means to perish. It's eternal separation from God. It's not a ceasing of existence. That they should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Praise God. How many are excited about eternal life? That refutes nihilism and pessimism and all kinds of other isms because we have the hope of eternal life. And nihilism, oh man, this, we're going to just die a heat death. The universe is going to lose its heat and energy. It's going to continue to deplete and we're just going to die this cold death and nothing's going to exist. Nihilism. Nope, God gives us eternal life through Christ, his son. Amen. What an awesome savior we have. Let's live for him, amen. Let's point people to our mediator. In Revelation 5, they rejoiced and began to just worship, all creation worship when they found out no one could open the scroll, but Jesus stepped forth. The line of the tribe of Judah, the lamb that was slain for us, amen. He took the scroll. He could loose its seals to bring forth God's ultimate plan to where there would be a new heaven, new earth, and be with him forever, and all of heaven rejoice. Let's rejoice in our Savior, amen. Let's rejoice in our Jesus. Let's praise God we have the mediator. And if you had only one opportunity and one life to live, and God said, what are you gonna do with it? And you knew this. You went to heaven and you could live your life over again. And you realize the biggest problem was people need to be saved. You said, I live my life to get the gospel of Jesus. Amen. Well, your life's not over yet. Do it now. Amen. Let's stand up, pass out the cup and the bread.